Hello, and welcome to this special webisode of OA On Air. I'm Cosmo Macero from Seven Letter in Boston, along with Seven Letter founding partner David DiMartino in Washington. David, we're going to talk about football today. During the past week, a lot of explosive NFL-related news. We haven't even got to the Super Bowl yet. Tom Brady made his, appeared to make his retirement official, and very notably in his initial announcement, snubbed all of New England. And then former Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores sued the NFL, the Dolphins, and two other teams alleging a pattern of discriminatory hiring practices. It's a lot. It's a lot to talk about. We've got a great guest, thankfully. That's right, Cosmo. The last couple of weeks have been like the last two minutes of that Chiefs-Bills uh, playoff game. So much happening, every twist and turn. We're glad to be joined today uh, by ESPN journalist Seth Wickersham, who's also the best-selling author of It's Better to Be Feared than the New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. We certainly couldn't have picked a better guest to talk about all of this. Seth Wickersham, thanks for taking the time to join us. Great to see you guys. Thank you. Seth, just because you spent so much time over the um, over the years getting to know Tom Brady, speaking with him a lot, interviewing him and people around him, can you just give us your first impressions or insights into what his thought process was around this announcement? Uh, I, I, I called it a retirement announcement, but I don't think he mentioned the word retirement, but essentially that's what it looks like to be. Yeah, it was interesting that he didn't use the word retirement. And, you know, he and Alex Guerrero, his, his body coach, who's obviously done a lot for him in his career and his life and has also gotten himself in some controversy over the years. Um, you know, they would often talk over the years about how in some cultures the word retire doesn't even exist. <laughs> you just do what you love to do until you don't. And I think that um, that's kind of what Tom did. Um, as vocal as he's been about playing until he's age 45, and uh, even this past year, talking about playing to 50, 55, <laughs> I think that there was always a good likelihood that this would be it. Um, the first thing was that when he left New England, he signed a two-year contract. And I think that that wasn't an accident. I think that that's kind of what maybe his family was going to allow. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I think that those things are often negotiated with the family as much as they're negotiated with the team. And I think that as this year went on, even though he did redo his contract in the offseason, I think a lot of that was for salary cap purposes. But I think as this year went on, he started to speak of some of his other ventures, his other businesses that this year he's really embraced more than any other year with the same type of reverence for football that he has had for football. And I think that, um, for instance, his Brady brand, his fitness line, I think that he likes the potential of it as a global brand, maybe wrapped into his TB12 business. You know, you can kind of have this all-encompassing Brady experience with your body and your fashion. Um, and also, the game of football is hard. And he's made it look so easy for so long that we forget how hard it is. And really, he's the only person who knows how hard it is to play that well at age 44. And it's a taxing sport. I think that his body was more beat up than he'll ever admit publicly. I think that the Bucks are about to undergo a roster change and, you know, he'd have to start over with a lot of, you know, new players. I think that the Bucks aren't as buttoned up as the Patriots were. And while he left New England to, to find a different system and find a different culture and style of play, um, you know, the, 
the Patriots were buttoned up to the nth degree. And you watch how they lost that playoff game against the Los Angeles Rams in the final seconds, you know, letting Cooper cup be isolated on a safety is something Bill Belichick would have never allowed to happen. I just think that all these things came into focus. And I think it's the reason why it's time for him now. Fascinating. We could probably do a 10 part man in the arena series just on this past weekend in Tom Brady. Um, But as you were talking, uh, you were right. That last point about Bruce Arians, I thought uh, I was just having this conversation this morning with my partner, Eric, um, that, you know, that moment was probably for Brady, like, okay, we just went through 17, 18 games, um, took beatings, overcome injuries. And that's what happens in the last 10 seconds of a football game. Um, And I think that played a big factor in his decision-making, but let me ask you this, his statement, you know, artfully crafted, doesn't mention retirement. Do you think it was a miscalculation on his part Um, in the context of new England? There's, there's the team, there's the coach, and then there's the fans Mm -hmm. and the fans spent the last 20 years defending Tom Brady, um, defending everything he did. From everything, I'm um, Deflate Gate. You know the the fan the the fans in New England never wavered. Uh, they defended him, and then to, for them to experience that two years after the the departure um, moment that they all endured too. Do you think it was a uh, a miscalculation on his part in the context of not recognizing the fans and what that does long term for his brands that he's trying to 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 launch here? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean. When he left New England, I think there was just a lot of raw feelings on his side. I mean, let's flash back for a second to August of 2019. Patriots have won their sixth Super Bowl, um, you know, over the Los Angeles Rams. And Brady wants a contract, as he had asked for the past couple of years, actually, that um, would be a show of faith, pay him at a fair market value and be a multi-year deal that you know, was a show of faith that he can keep this going until he's in his mid forties at a high level. And Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick should have been the only, the, the, more than anybody else, they should have been the, the people who know better than to ever underestimate Tom Brady. And yet that's what they did. And they were more comfortable with a, you know, going with him year to year. So in August of 19, Brady's so frustrated with the way the contract negotiations are going. He, he almost leaves training camp. Um, they agree to a one-year deal that allows him to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. And 48 hours after that, he and Giselle Bunchen put their Boston area house on the market. And so he said publicly that he thought that he was done, you know, playing in New England right then. And I think that while Tom Brady forgives, I don't think he forgets. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of, He's one of the most ruthless competitors you'll ever meet. And I just don't think that the fact that the Patriots opened the door for him to leave and he ended up walking out of it was something that um, healed very quickly. um, Seth, does that, did that backstory though, really? I mean, it really, it seems like it, it infiltrated or infected the process of him. This one moment of, of a, of a goodbye um, and I get, I get that he spent these two sort of remarkable seasons in Tampa Bay and they won a championship and they had a, a terrific season this year. Um, and, and there's, you know, as a player, 
he's got a relationship with, with the fan base there. But um, it's, it's, it still felt surprising to me, and, and I think the majority of Patriot Nation, that he would allow those feelings, that backstory with Coach Belichick and the team to, to disrupt that moment where it seemed very obvious how you would handle it. And I know in the time since the initial announcement on Instagram, he has followed up with some other things. But uh, I, I, I don't know if it's damaged, but I, I think the impact has been had already. Well, it became almost, you know, we kind of had a preview that he was going to retire, right? Um, in early January, I, I predicted that he was actually going to retire. It wasn't a report. It was just a prediction that I, that I made public. And Adam Schefter, Jeff Darlington, the weekend of the Rams game reported that he was non-committal towards returning to the Bucks. Then they report that he's retiring. Obviously that weekend ends up being a storm where there's a lot of pushback. They held firm because they knew that he was always going to announce it on Tuesday morning. And then when he finally did it, <laughs> it was surprising that he did it. But then the fact that he didn't mention the Patriots or Boston or the fans became this complete other sideshow that almost depending on, I guess, where you are in the world, where you are in the country, was either at the surprise of that level or maybe even eclipsed it. Um, look, you know, he posted nine slides or whatever it was on Instagram. It was obviously a statement he put, he's been spending a lot of time thinking about, probably had people read before he put it out. And I don't think that it was an oversight that he failed to mention anything Boston related. Um, but you know, that said, um, I th you know, he put out a video today that clearly reflects positively on his Patriot years. And I think that, um, you know, I just think it's obvious he doesn't define himself just as a Patriot anymore. I think that's right. <clears throat> yeah, I, for the last two years, I've been one of those Patriots fans that's both a Patriots fan and a Brady fan. I was pulling for the Bucks in the Super Bowl. I wanted him to win a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Um, just to demonstrate like the true level of greatness that the man can achieve in the context of like the criticisms he's faced over the years. It was, I think it was a, rede a re redemption for him um, and very important in the, in the arc of his career. Um, and, but in, in, to that, to that end, um, I think it, on Monday or whenever the announcement came out, it was a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, I tweeted, that Patriots fans were overreacting on the statement that he will eventually do the right thing for New England. Um, everybody should just calm down. Um, I'm not so sure that that tweet is um, as predictive as it was more, you know, hopeful. Um, but I hold out hope that he'll eventually, you know, do the right thing. Uh, but getting, you know, so moving to next steps here, what do you think happens? Does he, um, do the one day contract and retire as a Patriot. So he's in the hall of fame at, you know, in that context, um, you know, or, or what, what, what else do you think might, he might have up his sleeve as far as, um, you know, rebuilding his relationship with the fans in New England? I don't know. I mean, I really don't. I, when the Patriots played the Bucks in early October, I think that it was Robert Kraft who came out kind of intimated that maybe he would you know retire a patriot sign one of those one-day deals and I, I think that even at his press conference brady seemed receptive to it now now i really don't know i really don't um but 
you know, time forgives everything. And I think that, um, you know, when he's in Boston or has a chance to address Patriot fans, I think that he'll probably say something that seems pretty um, sincere about how much he appreciates them. And, um, you know, we'll see. But I think that it is amazing to think, you know, what a career we just saw. And, you know, he's retiring as an incredibly singular figure. He's not just a New England Patriot. Um, he's not just a Tampa Bay Buck. He's Tom Brady. And it's hard to think about other quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, ones who are incredibly accomplished in the same context to his accomplishments. Um, I think that the most interesting thing about him is that like when what we're losing when we lose him is like there's an element of certainty that we're losing. It's a feeling that for the longest time, he was his kind of own unique force, right? I mean, there was no question that when the game was on the line or it's third down, or if the quarterback had just thrown an interception and got the ball back and you know needed to make up for whatever points they might've lost, or there was two minutes left in the Super Bowl, he was the guy who's, you know, who you wanted the ball in the hands of. And um, he was such a unique force that he didn't only win games. It's almost like he forced teams to lose them. Like they did these things that were incredibly out of character. Like even the, his final game where they lose to the Los Angeles Rams and he helped lead this comeback from 27 to three. First of all, he's the only quarterback ever who could be down 27 to three in the third quarter. And you're like, this thing's not over. We can't turn this off. And second of all, it's like the Rams just imploded. <laughs> like they just, it's like they, they all just try to give him the game when we all know that he's the one person in NFL history, you cannot give a second and third chance to, because he will not let it be taken away. And, you know, we're losing that feeling. And I think that'll be interesting. It'll be weird to, be a football fan and watch football next fall without him playing because there's really nobody else who occupies that space. Thanks. Um, it's so funny because you're talking about the Rams game. I was just looking at my text and it, in the middle of the third quarter, I texted my friend George Rakis who lives down the street and we smoke cigars together in my garage. And I said, texted him and said, I'm going out to the garage to watch the comeback <laughs> <laughs> before the comeback because that I knew like, this game is not over until it's actually over. And then when it was over, I was like, I can't believe it ended that way. But yeah, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's so true. The, the era, the, the era of like certainty of him being able to do that. But going back to what you were saying before, let me, uh, I assume you've seen Bill Belichick's statement uh, about Tom Brady, which I thought was somewhat out of character for Bill Belichick to be so um, ebullient, I guess, in a, in a statement like that. And I, and going back to what we were talking about, Previously, I think this is the road back, right? Belichick issuing a statement about his career. You know, we're seeing some fence mending somewhere. Do you think that that um, will play into uh, in, as a factor into this, um, the Belichick-Brady relationship, if that statement kind of addresses some of the lingering questions there? Um, I don't know. When, when Brady left New England, he did it at Robert Kraft's house. It was March of 2020, and they called Belichick to tell him. He wanted to see Belichick in person. Belichick was unavailable. Again, Brady kind of thought that was maybe indicative of where their relationship was. Brady, it turned out Belichick was out of the country. But on that call, Belichick, and I reported this in my book, just said, you're, you know, you're the best the league's ever seen. And when Brady left New England, he called him the greatest quarterback of all time. And this past year, 
Brady, um, you know, he said really complimentary things about Brady, um, obviously called him the greatest player in the history of the game in that statement. I think that when you're playing for Belichick, he is ruthless and he will not let up. I mean, it wore on everybody there and it wore on Tom Brady. Um, they, the year that they ended up beating the Falcons in the Super Bowl, their first playoff game was against the Houston Texans in Foxborough and Brady didn't play well. I think he threw two interceptions, completed less than 50% of his passes, I think. And Belichick just lit into him in the team meeting after that, you know, this is, we're going to get beat if you, if we play this way. And I mean, at that point, Brady had won four Super Bowls. You know, that, that style is just what, you know, the success of Belichick style has been reaffirmed over and over and over again. It doesn't mean that it's easy. <laughs> and the next year, remember Brady thought about leaving new England very hard, skipped the entire off season program. His wife, told Robert Kraft enough of this, you know, Johnny effing Foxborough high, you know, stuff from Belichick. It's getting old. He needs to be treated like who he is, which is like the greatest quarterback ever. And, but that said, and I think that when he left New England, you know, it's like he went from Harvard to Florida State, right? He went to an atmosphere that was just different. Um, and he wanted that for his last couple of years. But um, when, Belichick's best players have left. He's always been incredibly complimentary of them, often going into long sort of speeches and explanations that detail the finer points of the things that they did well that maybe most fans wouldn't notice. I would love to hear him do that about Brady, go on a good 10-minute riff, but that's what Bill does. And I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of love in that relationship. I'm not sure there's always a lot of like, but I think there is a lot of love and mutual respect because Belichick not only gave Brady a chance, but they invested a lot in him. All the coaches spending the offseason trying to find ways to help him improve, work on weaknesses. Um, Scott Pioli was part of that. Charlie Weiss was part of that. Ernie Adams was part of that. Josh McDaniels was part of that. And Bill Belichick was part of that. They helped him maximize his potential quite a bit. And he'll and I don't think Brady will ever forget that, and I think he appreciates that quite a bit. Yeah, I you know it's funny I as a, a fan a lifetime fan, uh, season ticket holder for many years, I, I find it very very difficult to think that you know as and I was one of those fans. I can't believe he did this. He blew he completely blew off New England. You you can't erase you know you forget about one championship, two, four, six you can't erase 20 years of unbelievable memories and just forget about it as a fan and, and, and allow, you know, a snub perceived or not um, to, to, to ruin that. You shouldn't, I, I don't think you should as a fan, as far as Belichick and Brady, I, I, you know, that relationship is built on something that probably the three that I certainly probably couldn't understand. Seth, you probably do much better than, than the average person, uh, from the work you've done and, and, and the relationship you've built it professionally with Brady. But I, I, a few years ago, I took my son to the hall of fame induction ceremonies in Canton uh, for, uh, because Randy Moss was being inducted as a, along with Ray Lewis, who, who doesn't shut up when he talks, but it was, it was, uh, it was a great, it was a great experience. And it was amazing because the, the history of Randy Moss, and the Patriots is, is this tremendous sort of, 
um, you know, satellite or a shooting star, that um, a magical season that was kind of the first season my son was a fan of football as a kid. And, and, then, and then after that, it sort of petered out and didn't end perfectly. But I'll tell you, on stage during his speech the entire time in the back, there was Coach Belichick. There was Robert Kraft. It probably took the helicopter in or whatever and took off afterwards. But they were there for him because that, that one season plus was so special. I can only imagine how the two of them and the, all, all of the Patriots organization are going to treat Tom Brady and Phil uh, when that moment comes. Absolutely. And, you know, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are two very different people, but they have a couple essential qualities in common that I think helped them, um, you know, thrive for so long. And they came into each other's lives in 2000. And that was a very vulnerable and critical time because each of them were similarly obsessed with being great in this game that neither of them could control. And both had seen how fragile um, greatness and even having a job in that profession could be. Remember, you know, Coach Belichick in 1995 sees his personal and professional life annihilated when the Browns moved to Baltimore, has to wait five years for another chance, and then goes five and 11 his first year in New England and starts the season 0 and 2 in 2001. He drafts Brady, who, <laughs> almost went undrafted <laughs> you know that that career you know he wasn't joking when he pulled out his resume a couple of years ago and was like I was starting to think I was gonna have to use this and his dad Tom Sr. Um, had prepared a speech for him that he thought that you know he might have to deliver on that on the last day of the draft and it was a really heartfelt speech and it was about how he had learned this from another parent um, whose daughter played softball years earlier like Tom Sr.'s and he said, you know, athletic careers always come to an end. Sometimes they come to an end in middle school, sometimes in high school, sometimes in college, sometimes after a couple of years in a pros, and sometimes after a Hall of Fame career, but they all come to an end. And just because an athletic career ends doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. And um, of course, he didn't have to give him that speech. And of course, he never did. <laughs> you know, 22 years later, I wonder if he ended up, um, you know, giving his son a version of that the other day. I kind of doubt it, but you never know. We're talking to Seth Wickersham, ESPN journalist and best-selling author. Um, Seth, just real quick, because it has it has taken over the NFL news in the last couple of days, um, is the, um, the Brian Flores lawsuit. Uh, he has spoken quite a bit in the last few days on sports media. ESPN and elsewhere, it appears that it's the kind of thing that, that could have uh, some kind of a transformative effect uh, on, uh, on the NFL, but it's probably too early to tell. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it was, an, it was a courageous um, move by Brian Flores. Remember, he's still trying to get jobs. As of you know, now when we're recording this, um, you know, the New Orleans Saints and the Houston Texans are still considering him for the head coaching job, and he wants that job. You know, he wants to be a head coach. Um, obviously, he's made some severe allegations of, of sham interviews, of accusations of um, being incentivized to lose by Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, um, by Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, uh, encouraging him to tamper with a uh, potential quarterback. A lot of people think that's Tom Brady. Um, and everybody involved has 
denied the accusations that he makes in that suit. Um, he's well represented. That said, the onus is on the accuser, not on the accused. And um, I think that no matter what you think about his lawsuit, um, it is embarrassing um, for anybody who covers the NFL and certainly for people who are involved in the NFL to have a game that is so predominantly African-American, proudly African-American, and have so few African-American head coaches. There are more minority coaches, obviously you think of Ron Rivera, Robert Sala in New York, but owners and GMs are not making enough headway in terms of hiring black head coaches. And there's been a little bit of improvement this year, diversity wise in the GM ranks. I know the league office, especially executive vice president, Troy Vincent, is on teams all year long, not only about diversity in terms of coaching hires, but also even going down to like interns. Um, it's something that he takes a lot of pride in and has worked very hard to help make better. But it's just, it's an embarrassing situation. And, you know, maybe the threat, maybe litigation and the threat of more litigation will fix it. Um, help to fix it. I, I think we can only hope that that's the case. Um, you'd also hope there's not um, a backlash due to that. Um, but we'll just see how it plays out. I know, you know, Brian Flores, like many head coaches can be um, an abrasive personality, but he was very well respected in New England. I wrote about it in my book where in the fall of 2016, remember right before the presidential election, Donald Trump reads a letter that Bill Belichick had written for him and Belichick explained it publicly and then kind of moved on and a lot of the players were very offended by that and they thought about boycotting practice because Belichick had you know closely aligned himself with someone that they thought um was divisive to say the least and um it was Brian Flores who went to coach Belichick and was like coach you need to know this isn't okay you, you know, you need to go talk to the players about this. This is a problem. And, um, you know, that was a courageous thing to do. It's not easy to do to a man of Bill Belichick's stature in New England, especially the week of, you know, that was the week they played the Seattle Seahawks in Foxborough, maybe the biggest game of the season that year. And it was a big move. And I think that a lot of people, um, a lot of players respect Brian Flores, you know, as a coach and as a man. Seth, I heard former New York Jets uh, GM Mike Tannenbaum say yesterday that the league really needs to do a better job, teams, uh, and he, he feels this is the right strategy to bring uh, more diversity into the league, into teams at the entry level, and, and not just, he didn't just mean assistant co coaching jobs, he meant at the entry level, getting people to start their careers early in life in that field with the NFL. And that's how you really change the culture and create opportunity. And it, it, it made a lot of sense. I don't know uh, how well the league is doing in that regard, but it, it seems to be at least one strategy that makes sense over the long term. I agree. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, Troy Vincent's definitely trying to do with teams. In terms of the league office, I do think that there's been an effort to diversify, to be more diverse, you know, especially the past, you know, five, six years, I think. Um, but 
you know, I think that, you know, Mike Tannenbaum is correct. And, you know, the problems that the NFL as a corporate entity, the league office is facing are the same problems that a lot of corporate America is facing and trying to rectify. Um, but it's not happening fast enough, I think. On, on this point, <clears throat> the Rooney rule, um, do you think it's a, a tool that has backfired on the NFL at this point? Uh, or was it, was its intentions pure to begin with? Well, I, I don't know if you could say it's backfired. I think that it's a rule. And as it's written, I think its intent is pretty clear, but it's a rule, not a law. And um, there's no question that sham interviews take place. Were all of Brian Flores' interviews that he discusses sham interviews? I don't know that. But you know, I think especially on the coordinator level, there's a lot of interviews that take place to satisfy the Rooney rule, to help candidates who aren't gonna get the job, get their name out there for future opportunities. Um, but that's insulting. And, um, you know, again, these are complicated and difficult problems. Um, it, we all know that when job openings come open, whether it's with teams or anywhere else in corporate America, often there are favorites for that job, right? They may not, you know, have given the job away to someone, but they have someone that they think they want to hire. And, you know, that happens a lot in the NFL. I don't know how you get out of that. <laughs> you know, I really don't because there are a lot of qualified coaches, both that are black, both that are other minorities, other races, and um, that are very qualified that are just not getting jobs. I mean, Doug Peterson, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles is not gonna get a job this cycle. He's got the best resume of any head coaching, head coaches who were interviewed this cycle. He beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, it's a big problem. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I hope that, um, you know, the accusations that, that Brian Flores for his sake and for this cause's sake make in that lawsuit are true. And I hope that it leads to some change. Thanks. Um, we're joined by Seth Workersham of ESPN.com. Um, Seth, just a couple more questions, if you don't mind. Um, wanted to have a uh, talk a little bit about the media's role in many of these stories that we've been talking about this afternoon. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously the most uh, uh, high profile media intervention in, in the course of history in the last week was the, the breaking news um, uh, from Adam Schechter and others about Tom Brady's retirement. Uh, Cosmo and I work in the political realm where the, the use of leaks and exclusives is usually a tactic to advance a political agenda. <laughs> and so we're used to that. And Cosmo is a former journalist who, you know, used to do that kind of stuff. How do you think in, in the context of a retirement story, a story that, um, you know, Tom Brady and by all rights should have been able to control himself as a journalist, what's your take on, you know, you know, the Brian Flores story is a breaking news story. You want to get that out. But like Tom Brady's retirement, like, is that something you want to ruin, you know, for, for the person who's um, part of that? And I, ruin is a, I didn't mean to use that term. I didn't say that they ruined it, but I understand their position. But like, are there areas where sometimes it's better to wait, even though you know it's coming? I mean, Adam and Jeff are so plugged in. 
And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around about how they found out about that. I think that the most likely one, I haven't spoken to either of them about it, but I think the most likely one is that they worked really hard and they're really good at their jobs. And again, the past month and a half, I mean, people who are in that orbit saw this coming and knew that it was realistic. Again, you know, I, I you know, it wasn't a report, but I, I had a hunch that he was going to retire and I put it in an ESPN.com predictions column. Um, the week before or the day before weekend of when they, when the Bucks played the Rams, Jeff and Adam report that he's been non-committal about returning. You know, they're in the news business and um, you know, whether they preempted Tom's own announcement, um, I'm sorry, you know, I mean, their, their job is to bring fans inside the news of what's going on in the world of pro football as best they can. And that's a big story. And um, I don't think they have to apologize to anybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. And I didn't mean to imply that they did. Um, it's just a fascinating kind of dynamic. Um, I get like, you want to break the news about the lawsuits and, you know, things like that. And, uh, but this one was just like, um, you know, I don't know. Obviously, Brady didn't um, expect it. And then, you know, we, what we didn't talk about was the Jim Gray brought, um, podcast the night before he announced what he said he had made his decision. Um, all of this is so, like, for people who work with media and try to manage narratives, like, it's been so, you know, back and forth. It's been fascinating to watch. Um, and we appreciate your insight. Yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird couple hours. I mean, I think that um, when they broke the story, you know, again, I think we saw this coming and yet it was still a surprise to see that story. And then the pushback was fierce. And even though, you know, reading between the lines, knowing some of the people who did the pushing back, you kind of say, hey, he hasn't told us anything. Doesn't, didn't, didn't undermine the essence of what they were going, what they were reporting, which is that he was, you know, his retirement was imminent. He had played his last game and we know how this ends. Then of course he retires Tuesday morning and, you know, man, you know, that starts it all up again after days of kind of Brady tributes and whatnot, kicks it all up again. And then by the end of the day, Brian Flores lawsuit is the biggest story in sports, biggest story in sports, knocks Tom off the page. And oh, by the way, we also have the Super Bowl coming and these two teams that are playing, we almost like forgot that they're still here because these were such big stories to cover. Um, it's just amazing how, you know, the thirst for NFL coverage and insight is second to none. And, you know, the NFL can take over many news cycles at any given moment, even if it's not news that the NFL wants out there. Yeah, it, you know, I think that as opposed to say, 20 years ago, maybe even 10, the, the, um, the constant exposure from every side that the consumer has to, to different types of media, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, on their smartphone, social media, traditional TV and, 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 and broadcast radio, and everything else in between, it has really made the consumer very, very sophisticated into 
uh, about the thing that David referenced, the, the process of trying to manage a narrative. It's a lot more difficult to manage a narrative when, uh, um, when the consumer understands what you're trying to do. And, and, and just the layperson knows, oh, look at this. Now Brady's going to have to unwind this. Now, now he's going to have to explain, or you know, this looks like he stepped on the playoff weekend. All those things that moved at a much slower pace some years ago, and had to be thought through to unwind. It, it happens in seconds because the, the consumer understands what's going on. I think that makes it even more challenging, and, and in this case, uh, a lot more fascinating too. Yeah, you watch a lot of things unfold in real time, and that's just not the way it used to be. Um, so yeah, it, it's the experience of news and consuming news has changed so much. Um, it's fascinating. Um, Seth Workersham of ESPN. Um, one last question. I want to go back to the book. Uh, it's mm -hmm. prominently featured behind you. Um, and you've probably been asked a million questions about this. And so I'm going to ask one that maybe hopefully no one has asked you yet, which is, is there anything in the book you haven't been asked about that you're surprised? Why isn't anybody paying attention to this? Because this is a really interesting news nugget. Um, man, that's a good question. Uh, I got asked quite a bit about it. I mean, I think that the thing that I really tried to do with the book and, um, you know, what I hoped makes, I hope makes it a, a good experience for readers is that, yeah, there's fights in it. And yes, there are cuss words and, you know, there is cheating and, you know, there's some things in there that get, that get kind of buzzy headlines. But the book itself is about greatness and how this greatness was achieved, what the DNA of it was, and, you know, what some of the costs of it were. And, you know, if you do read the book and you especially read the last third of it, you see a lot of the themes coming up, the cost of Tom Brady's, you know, fierce dedication to playing football indefinitely, and the, you know, the strain that has on his family, because it's all encompassing. There is no off switch. He told me that. There is no off. I once asked him if like he had a backup plan, you know, if football doesn't work out, what are you going to do? He was like, no, I don't. I've never had one. And I was like, do you have one now? And he goes, no, absolutely not. And he just couldn't ever allow himself to work this way. And I do think that, you know, even though he was always going to retire Tuesday morning, you know, I do wonder if like that podcast with Jim Gray, he couldn't bring himself to say it, you know, whether he was actually telling the truth in a way that he hadn't decided because maybe he was still, you know, thinking of that 1% chance that he was going to pull a U-turn and head right back to the Bucks for treatment, for some film work. And, uh, you know, talk about the off-season schedule. Um, you know, it's just been so essential to his being, essential to his self-identity, probably his confidence. He's spoken about the need for a therapist when he walked away because he knew that there was no way he was going to be able to fill this void. And I think that's really what it is. It's a void. Um, but again, I think it's one of the reasons why you saw these other business endeavors, especially come up this past season. And... I think he's going to dive into those pretty strongly, mostly living in Miami, maybe a little bit in New York, and we'll see how long that sustains him. You know, with these legends, with these guys who would give away all their money to go back and play the sport, 
you know, those, those outside endeavors, the private jets, the cushy paid speeches, the endless, you know, rounds of golf on the world's best courses, it does get old. You know, Michael Jordan, my friend Wright Thompson wrote a Michael Jordan story a couple of years ago when he was watching LeBron James play basketball and talking about how he would defend him, knowing that he, if he could just go back in time, he could own LeBron. John Elway, you know, walks away, best ending you could possibly think of for him. And a couple of years later, he's general manager of the team, grinding away, sweating through games every week because he just kind of knew that that he was, he felt most alive with that game in his life. I just don't see Tom Brady getting into, you know, media broadcasting. He's never going to do that. He's going to do what he chooses. But I do think that at some point, um, something competitive will have to be part of his, his daily life. And it's, you know, business is competitive, but as you guys know, business, it takes a while. It's not the immediate three hours on a Sunday that gives you a test. You either pass or you fail. Um, you know, I do think that at some point he's going to need something um, that will get those competitive juices flowing again. I'm just not sure what, it, what form that'll take. All right, Seth, thank you. The book is It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. Best-selling author, Seth Wickersham, ESPN journalist. Thanks so much for joining us, Seth. It's been a, a terrific conversation. Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks, Seth. Thank you for listening to this episode of OA on Air with your hosts, Seven Letter Partners, Cosmo Macero and David Martino. We hope you enjoyed our conversation on all things Tom Brady and the current state of the NFL with ESPN senior writer and New York Times bestselling author of It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness, Seth Wickersham. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support our podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share on your social media. If you wish to be notified about upcoming episodes, subscribe to OA on Air on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and follow us on LinkedIn at O'Neill & Associates.